Hello friends, welcome to a special episode of Spanglish Seminary. I wanted to share with you a recent sermon that I preached at my home church, uh, Parish Long Beach. And um, it's, well, it's not a perfect recording, it's not an excellent recording, but um, I pray that it is a faithful sermon. And I wanted to share it with you all, uh, sort of invite you into our space uh, you can hear, you know, actually mainly my son crying. You can hear the kids moving around uh, on their way to kids' church and stuff like that. And um, there's some, you know, some of the sound, because I, I was recording on my iPhone, so some of the sound at parts is not the best. But um, I think you can hear the majority of the sermon. Uh, feel free to skip through some of the some of the noise, but it feels, um, it should feel like you're there is is my intention of you know uh sharing with you a completely unedited recording uh of the sermon so it starts off with a very bad ver uh uh version of the song of invocation that we sing uh well at least on my part right which is the point you can hear my pastor kind of bring it up uh regarding the song of invocation that we sing before we hear a sermon to kind of get our minds uh our minds prepared for uh listening and it's a song that we sing um, that the preacher, you know, starts. And as you can tell, I cannot sing. Uh, but it, that's fine. The point of it is not, uh, you know, excellence or perfection, but faithfulness. And, um, uh, well, one of the things that our church does is we preach from the lectionary to sort of free up the congregation from the choice of the preacher. And it forces the preacher uh, to wrestle with certain texts that, that, the, the person preaching would not normally select for themselves. Um, so this week uh, is the is we're in the season of Pentecost and the readings were if you'd like to follow along you can kind of hear people reading but if you'd like to follow along it's Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 5 verse 1 through 10 uh, Psalm 48 I, I briefly mention it Second uh, Corinthians 12 uh, verses 2 through 10 uh, Mark 6 um, verses 1 through 13. Um, so I, you know, preach, preach with that. The, the sermon is titled uh, City of David, City of God. And, um, you know, it, it ends awkwardly. It sort of just ends. So you'll, you'll hear the, uh, the ending of the sermon. But um, I didn't record the, uh, the way we end our service where we end in communion. Uh, we share a prayer together. We bring the kids in and we, we all take, uh, we all receive communion uh, um, as a community uh, and led by our, our pastors there. So, uh, it's one of the things that we do when we gather around the table. So you don't get to hear that. You don't get to hear those words, but you do get to hear the sermon and uh, kind of our community interact uh, for a bit. So I hope you enjoy any questions. Uh, as as always, uh, the the sermon and the words were directed towards a community that was present. Um, so I, I, I wasn't conscious of the recording, which is why I just hit record right from the beginning so that I wouldn't be thinking, uh, so I wasn't, wouldn't be aware of, uh, hey, there's a microphone in front of me. There, there wasn't. Um, there was just an, an iPhone there, but I wanted to share it with y'all and invite you in to, to this uh, sacred space that we try to create every Sunday. And um, any questions that you might have of the sermon or anything that I might have said that's not complete, um, feel free to interact and message us. And uh, we will try to answer it on another podcast. So enjoy and thank you for listening as always.
Yes, what's that? Pentecostal, no preaching. No, I know I go walk around and stuff. Anyway, um, so I need three volunteers. So who wants to read the Old Testament? I'll read it. Okay. I'll read, read one. Can you just give me one? New Testament? Sure. Well, and the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel reading? Yeah, yeah, right. The gospel oh, the reading. Epistle. And then the what? The, the epistle? Right, but how do you actually pronounce it? Epistle? Epistle. Okay, it's a silent. He was, Marco Polo me last night and he's preaching oh, the sure. epistle, and I was like, dude, you better. That's that's awesome. Like, you could use that as, like, this is going to be fire. The epistle? The epistle? I'll do that. That's one of. Okay, oh, that. you okay? Did you mark? I'll do mark. Cool, where am I headed? Uh, back, back in the branch, and then just around the front desk, and it'll be on your left. All right. So who's reading the epistle? Me. Oh, and then I'm reading Mark. Oh, you're reading Mark. Okay. Who's got the Old Testament? And then he's got the Old Testament. Uh, I was about to, just about to say something, and I forgot because he opened the door. No, we're in no hurry, man. We're not in a hurry. There's no time. Um, so let's sing the song of invocation first, and then we'll we'll start that way. You want to lead us in it? No, Pastor Teddy. No, because oh, okay. this isn't about being good. Right. Okay. So let's, let's sing. Which clearly, I'm shouldn't I'm leading it. So yeah. clearly, not okay. okay. So we'll we'll lead the we'll sing the song of invocation. Hear the words of Christ our Savior. Come to me. Come to me. All you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world he gave, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. Hear the words of Christ our Savior. Come to me, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All right. Um, so if we can read the uh, Old Testament, Old Testament 12. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while King, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel. You shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah thirty-three years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. David built the city all around the city all around from the Milo, in, Milo inwards. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Amen. In the uh, New Testament. Mark's Gospel. Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach the synagogue and many who heard him were astounded. And they said, where did this man get all this? 
What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and, and Jose, and Judas, and Simon? And are not these the sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to him, to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Second Corinthians 12, 2-10. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak... And I'm strong. Amen. So all these all these verses fit together, and I'm going to, by the grace of God and by the, for the sake of Christ, try to weave them together. Um, so first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm just thankful for this community, for the fact that it exists and it creates the space for me to be able to do what I feel called to do. Um, thankful for my family, for my wife. I mean, I wouldn't be able to write the sermon if she didn't create the space for me to be able to write the sermon. Uh, and for you all to be here, and, and just, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, so, so, I'll begin with this, right? So, 
last week, speaking of a thorn on the side and humility and, you know, as, as uh, Paul, I was going to call him Saul, Paul was talking about, uh, sports-wise, last week was kind of like up and down for us, right? For people in LA, at least, because like LeBron James came to the Lakers, so it was like, yay! And then the next day, Mexico got eliminated from the World Cup, so it was just like immediate, you know, your balloon gets popped. So it is what it is, you know, every four years, that's like a, a thorn of our side, so, you know, we, we, we carry on uh, in that. So, uh, that has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about, but I did want to share that, the idea of the thorn on the side and all that. It, it reminds me, it reminds me of that. So, um, so everybody here has seen, you know, we were reading about David, right? And what is it about David? At least for me, I don't know for everyone else, but in my, in my tradition, David was like exalted. Like David was like, um... There's two people that we talk highly about. Uh, it's Jesus and then David, right? So, like, David was, like, the worshiper, and you wanted to have, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. That that verse is always brought up, right? That everybody wants to be a David and not uh, Saul, right? Saul was the, the one that threw the spear at him, right? Um, well, some of the things that stand out about David that are for sure uh, that we should pay attention to is... When he was a child, right, and he, and he was a shepherd, um, he wrote songs to God without knowing that they would be sang. We would be singing them in churches, you know, thousands of years later. Um, so the humility, humility in that, right, to be able to sing to God without trying to do it for fame or trying to do it for, for money. He just sang to God out of, out of you know, the, the space in his heart that he had while he was alone. So his identity was in God, right? He, David did get his identity... Um, from who God was for him and to him. Um, but it doesn't always stay that way, right? It doesn't, if we, if we read the entirety of David's life, it doesn't, it doesn't always uh, stay that way. And I mean, I was trying to find the way that the story of David gets told, like the way we, in pop culture, the way this, you know, someone that would fit. And for me, it would be just pick any like Marvel character, right? Like, my for my seven year old knows all the Marvel characters, knows their stories, knows you know the story of you know you get this great power and then something happens in your life that you have to you know you have the power now to stop something and and to change the outcome of certain things right and so spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen here Infinity War right has everybody here seen it okay so I'm I'm. Oh you, have, oh, you haven't seen it? Everybody dies at the end. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So there's a story. I won't give the ending of it away to you, for you, right? But there's a story of, you know, there's a guy uh, in Infinity War. His name is Thanos, right? And he's trying to capture... And these are the stories that we tell each other, right? Like, this thing sounds corny to, like, talk about, like, a modern-day movie. But it's the same way where we tell stories of heroes and we tell stories of people who attempt out of their own power and out of their own strengths to create a result for something that they want to do, right? And so it reminds me of, of, of Thanos, right? Of someone that made up their mind that they're going to do these things and take these things by force in order to, for the, for the betterment of society, right? To, to create a balance in the world. And so you can see in David, and, and when we're reading these verses, right? You see that 
David was 30 when he became king, right? And, he, and it's funny that the scriptures tell us that he reigned, he, he was king over this land for this amount of time, and he was king of, over all this land for 30 to 40 years. Like it's documented that his reign was extended for a long time, right? So you had like the David regime or whatever, right? Throughout, throughout all of Israel. And we can connect that to Jesus' ministry, whose Jesus' ministry began at the age of 30. And so you start to see parallels and differences between David and between Jesus, right? That Jesus was pretty much unknown until he was 30. He, you, can't, you can't go back. Traditionally, the church doesn't tell us stories of, of Jesus um, as, as we can see his stories of David, right? Of how he was the chosen one. And so right, right off the bat, we see that Jesus was hidden for a time until he was 30 around the same time as David. And Jesus' ministry only lasts three years. So if you want to look at it from a, a way of success and a way of using your power to get a certain result, you know, you see right away that the Messiah, that Christ, did not have the same reign and the same power and the same results that David got. If you're looking at the, the two things, right? One thing that I heard interesting as I was reading, like, for example, the story of David versus Goliath, right? Where I was always, every time I hear a story of David versus Goliath, it's the believer is, is David, right? We're David, and we have to, by the power of God, we have to stand up to our Goliath, and our Goliath is right there. And you can aim right, and with your own power, and with your own strength, and with your own skills, you can kill the Goliath with the power of God, right? And when, if we really look at it, right, if you see David as a Christ type, Jesus is David and we're Goliath, right? And in, in that, Jesus calls us to die, right? You don't, you don't, what does Jesus say? You don't, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. And so we're the Goliath. And Jesus is David. And you don't really, we don't really hear that type of story being told to us. Right? We, we, we put ourselves as the heroes of the story. And I think maybe as, as Americans, we're, we're taught to be the hero of the story. We put ourselves as the main, the main character. And then the main thing is, you can hear in, in the verse where it says, uh, it says, David occupied the stronghold and named it, of the, named it the city of David. And this is what men do. This is what humble men do when they get any bit of power. Humble men who, who, who started off as shepherds, who started off amongst the animals by themselves, and they get a little bit of power, and they start to build a city for themselves. A city named after their own name. And then David builds the city inwards. And so this is how powerful men want to keep their power is that you, instead of opening up to the people around you, you build inwards and you start. And this isn't like an inner search to find Christ within you. This is like an inner search of closing yourself, of building walls to keep certain type of people out so that you can keep power, right? And, and then here's the humility. <laughs> And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts who was with him. So you, you sort of blame God, right? You give God the glory for you having all this power and for you closing off 
the cities and building inward instead of building outward to the people that are on the outsides and the margins, right? And we can see the differences between David and Jesus. And then Psalm 48 was one of the readings that we didn't choose, but you see the differences between the city of David and the city of God, that the city of God is a city of refuge, that the city of God is a city, you know, the, the Revelation talks about heaven, that heaven, yeah, heaven has walls, but it has a gate that never closes. So it, what, it, what that means to me is that you don't get to go into heaven your own way. You have to go in through the gate that never closes next to your neighbor, alongside somebody else. You don't get to choose how to jump over and get into you. You have to walk in through the gate that never closes. So, and I have a quote from, where's, oh, here it is. So back, so if we go over to Mark, right, to the reading uh, of, um, which is, a, it's, a, it's a strange reading um, when we read about Jesus. Uh, where he's talking about, he's talking about, he's sending his disciples out, right? But it also tells us, here we get to see a little bit of a difference between David and Jesus, right? And Jesus and David. So Mark 6, 1, it says, Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. So Jesus came home. Jesus came home to the place where you think, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be the safest and the most accepted. And so he, you know, on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, he begins to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. And uh, one of the church fathers, Peter Chrysologus, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but he said something, he said something about uh, Mark 6.1. He says, How can he be said to go out and, and to come in whom no space can enclose? What country can be his who made and who possesses the whole universe? In truth... Christ goes out and comes in not of himself nor for himself, but in you and on behalf of you until he recovers you from your exile and calls you home from your captivity. And it's that, right? Why does, why does God go home? Why does God go to his hometown when he owns the universe, when the universe is his? Why does God go to a space when no space can hold God? And he does it for us, for our sake. Mm -hmm. And so you see the response to Jesus, right? So here's Jesus teaching. And what is their response? Like, this guy is the carpenter. Like, this guy is the town. He's like the guy that sells, you know, mangoes on the street corner. Or he's the, he's the ice cream guy down the street, whatever. He's a carpenter. Like, you can go to his shop and buy things from him. Right. And we know his family. We know his mom. We know, we know who he really is. We know how he acts. We know what he likes to eat. Like, they're right here. His brother and sister are right here. And there's something about coming home that humbles us. So I'll try to get some good, good out of this, right? Coming home humbles us. Because we won't be recognized by those who really know us the best. Like, we won't get the recognition we think we want from those who know us the best. There's a saying in Mexico about Mexicans that we are crabs in a barrel. So anytime someone kind of gets, gets up in either money or has this great accomplishment in life and you try to show off a little bit, 
your community will automatically humble you and say, ah, you're nothing, ah, this isn't even, and just start kind of tearing you down. So it's like this spoken, unspoken thing about being crabs in a barrel, right? That, you know, when you put crabs in a barrel and one of them all makes it out, the crabs will reach up and grab them and pull the other crab that's about to get out and pull them down. And so I guess this is, this is something that can be encouraging that even Jesus wasn't appreciated in his home and in his hometown. So that, that, could, that could be some sort of consolation, right? You know, those who know us best will struggle to see the image of God in us. Um, but maybe that's a good thing, right? Because what do we see right after that? Right after Jesus is amazed that he can't do miracles. Jesus can't do miracles in his hometown. Jesus can't do miracles in the place where he's known best. And around the people who he ate. And the people who he built things for, who he did things for, he can't do the miraculous things. And so God sends people outside of their family bubbles. God sends people to the outside, right? And then I have, there's a quote from Justin Martyr. He says, um, says, Jesus came as the son of a carpenter. He was not physically attractive, just as the prophets had predicted of him. He was merely a carpenter making clothes and and yokes and instructing us by such symbols of righteousness to avoid an inactive life. So Jesus worked. Jesus put things together with his hands. Jesus made money. Jesus sold things. And he was a part of the community. Jesus lived life. Um, And it was a lively life, right? Um... And so he sends them, right? He sends his disciples out after that. He says, it says, He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, and no money in their belts. And another church father, Jerome, who says, he basically says that this command is not for everyone, right? Because he says, it reminds us of the, the, the rich man, right? He says, Are all commanded to sell all they possess and give it to the poor and follow Jesus? Of course not. This command is for those who earnestly desire to respond fully to grace. The Lord says in the gospel to him who had uh, boasted of having kept the whole law, If you will be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. He said this to those who wish to be wholly mature in faith, that he might not seem to be laying a heavy burden on unwilling shoulders. You know, so unless you feel it, Unless you feel the burden, God's not going to put a burden on you that you are unwilling to carry. So he sends them out, right? He sends the people out. He sends them with nothing. And one of the things that helped me, has helped me read the Bible, I believe, more faithfully, is to stop centering myself in the story, to stop thinking that I'm... That I'm, you know, the Captain America in the, in the movie. That I'm, you know, what would I do if I had this power? That I'm, you know, my son loves Spider-Man. So he imagines, you know, playing as Peter Parker. When I was young, I saw The Rocketeer. I don't know if I'm dating myself, right? But I saw the movie The Rocketeer on Broadway. I remember the, the theater. And it's this guy that got this rocket pack. And he went around flying and saving people, whatever. And so when I was a kid, you come outside and you pretend you're the rocketeer. You put yourself in the middle of the story. And one of the things that has helped me read the Bible a little more, more faithfully is to not place myself as the hero of the story. And to read it as I truly am, that I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen reading this book about marginalized people. And so if I read it as a Roman citizen, who are the people 
like if my government killed the Messiah, what would I do about it? What would I do about my government crucifying people, mm. crucifying religious leaders, people that are doing miracles, or even crucifying thieves? Would I be okay with that or would I just think it's law and order, it's the right thing to do? So when I started reading scripture that way, you start to, you start to see, uh, you start putting yourself in another person's shoes. Um, you know, how do we treat those who have nothing to give us but Christ? Right? So Jesus sends out these missionaries, right? And it's like a liturgical act. It's like practice, right? He sends them out, says, don't take anything. Don't take a second coat. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take food. Don't take a sword. Don't take anything. Go to these people and see if they'll accept you and see if they'll show you hospitality and give you what you lack, right? And if they don't accept you, then just dust yourself off. Dust yourself off and keep going, right? And when I don't place myself as the missionary and make myself the hero of the story and make myself as the, the person who has the gospel and can go out to save them and save sinners and save, quote-unquote, the lost, who are the people that Christ is sending to me that don't have anything, that don't have food, that don't have shoes, that don't have an extra coat? Who are these people? And so... Like right now for the United States, and I'm connecting this just to us, right? To us that we live here. Like God is sending missionaries. God is sending children, little ones with nothing so that we can be hospitable to them. And our government is putting them in cages. And so as Roman citizens, what is that? How should, then should we live? How should that shape how we live as Christians? Right? And so God is sending these little children so that we might repent. Right? He tells them. They went out and they proclaimed that all should repent. That they should turn around from the way they're living their life and do a 180. I hope that's right, right? Not a 360. It's a 180. <laughs> and turn from the way you were living your life before. And then they can cast out demons. Like I was telling Paul, we had lunch the other day and I was telling him, like we used to, we used to hear stories of like, don't listen to rock music because you'll get demon possessed. Don't watch the exorcist because you'll get a demon in you, right? Because the, the eyes are, the, the, eyes are the, uh, the window to the soul, right? Those demons are easy to cast out. Like if you watch it, those are easy. But what about the demons that give people that are demonized with accomplishing the American dream? Or what about the people that want to build inwards and they're demonized with power and they're demonized with war and they're demonized with building bombs and, and, and walls? How do you exercise those demons? How do you take those demons out? Right? And so... They cast out all those demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and they cured them. And so a lot of the encouragement that I hear and that I see from, from pastors and preachers and, and that, that's given to us is this encouragement to continue to worship idols 
It's like the stress that we have in our life is because we worship idols. And if we can be exercised of those demons and of that idolatry, we can be sick, we can be healed, and we can be cured, right? The, and, and, and you can be, you know, for me, the, the anointing, I, I would hear about people being anointed, right? And the anointing was like this power, right? It was like a superpower that you can, you can lay hands on people and you can make them well, right? But again, when we don't make ourselves the hero of the story, when we don't make ourselves the center of the story, you can really see who truly is God's anointed and who, if we allow them to lay hands on us, we can be made whole. We can be healed. And then I'll, I'll, I will finish with, with this part, right? With Paul. So here's Paul, frustrated. Frustrated at his church, at the church that he planted. And they are, they are amazed. that He's amazed that the Corinthians are really impressed by the super apostles, right? These super apostles who came and had this certain message and they all ran to them. And they're like, yeah, this guy, this guy talks way better than Paul. This guy's so entertaining. And he tells us what we want to hear. And so Paul's like upset and he's like, I got, I have so much. He's like, I'm so humble. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And he's, he's so humble. He's talking about himself like in the third person, right? And he's like, I, w- I went up to the third heaven. I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. Only God knows. But I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. So he's like, I had these great revelations, had these, these things that I could have given to you that I could have impressed you with, but I chose not to impress you with these things because I, Paul wasn't there to entertain them. Paul wasn't there to encourage them to continue to live in such a way where they're worshiping idols. Paul was there to get them to be faithful to God. And he is, even if I boast, even if I, if I boast... I wouldn't be lying. I'm telling the truth, right? But he's, and I love this, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me. Right? And that's the issue with us, right? With social media, we don't, we no longer have private lives. We can, you know, before when I was younger, I used to think, try to imagine how to, if you could read people's minds. Now you don't really have to, right? Like you can know what's in people's minds because people will post their thoughts on social media. So you know how people think, right? We, we know how people think. And so that helps, right? And so I, there's this great quote from uh, Augustine, right? Uh, and it, it's, it's great regarding the surpassing revelations and the thorn on the flesh, right? So the thorn, some church fathers don't say, some people think it was a sickness that he had something wrong with his eyes. But the thorn was people, uh, one of the church fathers says that the thorn was people that didn't let him, didn't let him preach the gospel freely without a hindrance. That it was people that fought him and argued with him and forced him to phrase a certain way or go a different way than the way he wanted to, if, you know, if we really continued. So, you know, that's why the messenger of Satan harassed them to keep them from being conceited, right? Because if you think, if you become popular as a preacher, it'll go to your head. If you become like a super apostle and you become a famous preacher 
it goes to your head because you get a bunch of followers, you get a book deal, you get, you get the podcast, you get the whole, the whole thing, right? You get paid to preach. And so it goes to your head. And Paul didn't get that. Paul, people actually try to fight him for preaching. And so, and you can tell the messenger of Satan was a human, right? Because Satan, it always takes a person to be a messenger of Satan. So that's, that's, a, that's a Bible study. That's not a sermon, right? That's a sermon. <laughs> but so this is a great quote from Augustine, right? Augustine, one of the church fathers. He says, not everyone who spares is a friend, nor is everyone who strikes an enemy. Love mingled with severity is better than deceit with indulgence. It is more profitable for bread to be taken away from the hungry if he neglects right living because he is sure of his food than for bread to be broken to the hungry to lead him astray into compliance with wrongdoing. The one who confines the madman as well as the one who rouses the lethargic is troublesome to both but loves both. Who could love us more than God does? Yet he continually teaches us sweetly as well as frightens us for our good, often adding the most stinging medicine of trouble to the gentle remedies with which he comforts us. He tries the patriarchs, even good and devout ones, by famine. He chastises a stubborn people with heavier punishment. He does not take away from the apostle the sting of the flesh, though asked three times so as to to perfect strength in weakness." Right, and that totally changes us. When I am weak, then I am strong. So it should change what we think. What is power? What is strength? You know, the more godly we are, the more we can bear. And this is from my professor, right? This is from a sermon that he preached. The more Christ-like we are, the more we will suffer for Christ. His God's grace is sufficient, and we are being made perfect. And this quote for me hit it, right? That Paul had everything. Paul was a, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was, was moving up in the ranks of his religion. Paul was like a famous preacher, you know, Jewish preacher. And then he found Jesus. Right? And he says, I consider it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. And so it should change how we see and how we view that right that do we want to be david and build the city of david do we want to be the hero of the story or do we want to be like christ who who humbles himself and makes him makes himself less to create a space for others right and isn't that who god is that god is absent god is not everything because if god was everything we wouldn't be here right and god's absence creates the space for us to exist, for us to be us, for us to be a people and be a community. And so I'll finish with this quote from Thomas Merton that hit me this week. And Thomas Merton was a uh, Catholic monk in the 60s. And he says, Why should I want to be rich when you were poor? Why should I desire to be famous and powerful? Why should I cherish in my heart a hope that devours me, the hope for perfect happiness in this life, when such hope doomed to frustration is nothing but despair? My hope is in what the eye has never seen. Therefore, let me not trust invisible rewards. My hope is in what the heart cannot feel. Therefore, let me not trust in the feelings of my heart. 
My hope is in what the hand has never touched. Do not let me trust what I can grasp between my fingers. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, that's it. Death will loosen, loosen my grasp in my vain hope will be gone. 